welcome Christian Israel, white nationalists, lovers of truth everywhere. This is Eurofolk Radio. Today is April 30th, 2023. And today we have chosen a very special topic, which I am very gratified to say uh, has been taught in Christian identity for actually decades, especially going back to the teachings of Dr. Wesley Swift and Bertrand Campare which is that uh, there was pre-Adamic life on earth, <laughs> right? And most, and most, especially the sixth day, the literal sixth day creationists have the first three, several chapters of Genesis completely wrong, have little or no understanding of the terminology there because they don't do word studies. Isn't that the case, Michael? Uh, have you ever heard one of these Judeo-Christian pastors do a word study? No, in good day, everybody, and thank you for yeah. letting me joining your show. And oh, yeah. no, I've never heard it. Uh, in fact, I don't know if it even is known in Swedish in in the Swedish churches what is a concordance. They don't even know what it is, and they don't <laughs> right. use it even. Yeah, yeah. So, but, it, but as you say, we can because you're getting light on words that you you think it is what it is. Example: this other bogus Judeo Christian. You have to be uh, you will be born again. It's not born again. It's born from above. If you just do a word study on that on that in those verses and yeah. the word and the church is always citing the one that Nicodemus say, not what Jesus Christ, not what Yeshua yeah. Messiah said. They're right. always citing the wrong one. Yes, yeah. Uh, Nicodemus clearly misunderstood what Yahshua was trying to tell him. All right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, so they repeat the misunderstanding, but they ignore the clarification <laughs> that Yahshua gives them. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible how far off base the Judeo-Christian churches are. However, I am gratified to say that more and more Judeo-Christian theologians, and I, I posted a link on you know, the front page of Eurofolk Radio, of two theologians who actually now have come around and are talking about pre-Adamic life on earth and the gap theory. All right? So th this is extremely, extremely important. This is a major change in perspective of the Genesis chapter 1, especially Genesis chapter 1. Okay? So let's just jump right into it. And uh, there's some, uh, 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 how should I put it, um, concepts that we'll have to address as we go along, right? Because uh, the, the, the major problem with modern Judeo-Christian theology is that it, it hearkens only to their own denominational traditions. They are not willing to step outside of their traditions and actually go back to the roots of the Bible. They're, they're not willing to do that, okay? Which is like... Uh, you know, a mechanic who doesn't know what an engine is, <laughs> right? <laughs> he studied the body of the car and the steering wheel and, and, that, and that sort of stuff, but he doesn't know anything about engines, right? This is how crazy Christianity is. And, and uh, now we can also compare it to Judaism, but Judaism does this kind of profound ignorance deliberately, the, the, the Jews are in the business of distorting the scriptures, not understanding them, right? Uh, and there's another blind spot among the Judeo-Christians. They, they say the Jews 
are the ones who preserve the oracles of God. No, they have perverted the oracles of God. And uh, again, we are living in a world of absolute delusion, as uh, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, our minds have been swamped with lies and misconceptions and lack of scholarship. Uh, I don't think I could state it any stronger than that. All right. Anyway, so uh, let's get into it, Michael. Uh, the, uh, we, we put the link in uh, both the Telegram chat room and the Eurofolk radio chat room. Pre-Adamic Life on Earth, PDF from ChristianReading.com. Take, uh, take it over unless you have you know, uh, intro- introductory remarks of your own. No, I'm just also as you this would you say this just for emphasizing on the just on the word studies because you yes. uh, the, the Bible it's a living book but you but you also you need to understand what was the author of the text wanting to say to us and that is by word studies to understand the the, the words behind it. Because otherwise we can be misled. So I just want to emphasize it and also that and I know I probably speak to the quiet, but to just um, encourage you to get a concordance and use a concordance. Yeah, that is um, like a must if you are a biblical scholar and want to teach the the Bible. You you need to have a concordance. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we in identity, we we start at the very beginning, like the word Adam. You look it up; uh, it's uh, number one nineteen and one, number one twenty, and it clearly defines in one nineteen as to show blood in the face. That's right in your strong concordance. Right, and there's only one race of people that shows blood in the face, and it's the Adamic Aryan white race, otherwise today known as the Caucasian people. Right, so uh, it can only be a reference, and all the prophecies that pertain to the fulfillment of uh, in the modern world of Old and New Testament prophecies have only been fulfilled by our people and none other. I mean, it's patently obviously if you if you follow the the logical train of history and the the meanings of the words in both the Hebrew and the Greek, you can come to no other conclusion. But the problem is with the King James is that it translates Adam and Ish and Enosh, and there's at least nine different words from the original Hebrew that are translated as man. So, but it's not always Adam. It's sometimes something completely different. And yet the King James translates all those words as one man. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous that the King James translates these very different words, which have sometimes totally different meanings from Adam, right? And translates them all as a man. How are you going to make it make sense out of the Bible with such a confusing word? Right? And Jew is another one, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And that, yeah, exactly. And then you can sit and say when you're reading in the, let's say in the writings in the New for New Testament, people say, "Oh, they are Jews." No, yeah, there is an incited word. It is I do. You have to read in the context if they are Jews actually, or if they are Judeans. Or right. Judaites. Exactly. Many different meanings. Yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's a wonderful work I've, I've done uh, word studies on that uh, about. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the author's name. Anyway, he did a, a survey of the Jewish people in Israel, 
and ask them a question, you know, how do you define the word Jew? Okay. And none of them, these Jews themselves could not define the word, right? <laughs> but the important thing is that none of them referenced the word Jew in connection with the term Judah. Not a single, they did 20,000 families in Israel, asked them to define the word Jew, and none of them referenced the word Judah. Can you believe it? Right? It shows they, them that, yeah. I guess, it's only the, I don't know, it is probably, I mean, the, some of the rabbis, may, they probably know it. Oh, of course they, they do. Are, yes. They do. But the, the normal Jews, I guess, they're all, all, also victims to their, for their own, uh, their own rabbis. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. William Hollis is the uh, uh, scholar's name, uh, and his website, uh, angloisrael.com, is still being uh, is still in existence, okay? William Hollis, uh, the, uh, the article is entitled Webster and the Term Jew, right? <laughs> and it's just, hardly anybody in the world has a proper definition of the word Jew. Why? Why? Because they don't uh, consult the Bible to find out, well, it's not Jew at all. It's Judah. In the Old Testament, it's always Judah, which is a, a very specific reference to anyone descended patrilineally from the patriarch Judah. That's it. That's the proper definition of the term Judah in the Old Testament. Well, the Jews don't fit that at all. Yet they claim, uh, you know, uh, descent from Judah. No, they don't. They're not. They're not descended from Judah. They're Edomites and Canaanites and Khazars. That's what they really are. Judeos in the Greek. Yes, it's a territorial term. So, folks, unless you know the meanings of the original words. In the Greek and Hebrew, you cannot possibly understand the Bible. Fair statement, Michael? Very fair. Amen okay. to that. And that is where we need to start. So that's why we're doing this. We yeah. really start from the beginning here. Yeah, right. Genesis 1-1, folks. <laughs> right. Yes. All right. Let's jump in. Yes, let's do it. Yes. So the pre-Adamic life on earth. Pre-Adamic life on earth. Yeah, it was time, two times. Okay. Any discussions or even a causal academic mention of pre-Adamic life on earth prior to Genesis 1 verse 2 uh, as a reality uh, quickly invites scorn and ridicule. And the reason for such ridicules is that that such a thing is never known to be officially thought in the history of the professing Christian churches. That's correct. And yeah. Yeah, and there's a question then from my so this period, this prior to Genesis one two, could that then be the prior example where Atlantis uh, existed? Exactly. In fact, one of the scholars in that uh, post that I put up uh, definitely refers to Atlantis, the great catastrophe that happened, and both of those scholars. One is uh, Allison, who is uh, one of the top uh, leaders of uh, one of the Baptist denominations. He has come around to say, oh, there, there was another world before Genesis 1-2, okay? And that's referred to as the gap theory. And so you're talking about major, you know, scholars from various denominations coming around. Because, uh, here, let me uh, briefly explain. Because we have two, uh, two methods of looking at Genesis chapter 1. One is the... Uh, Literal 24-hour-day short-term creationists, right, which is, is basically falling away. That's no longer being accepted 
by really serious scholars. And we have the old earth creationists who say, well, no, these days are not literal 24-hour days. They are eons. They are eons, not literal 24-hour days. And just doing the word studies, uh, the word yom, which is translated as day in Genesis 1, it cannot be asserted definitively that those are literal 24-hour days. It doesn't make any sense. Why? Because, well, the sun didn't appear until the fourth day. Uh, how do you know that uh, there was even a rotation of the earth, you know, uh, uh, in 24 hours? It doesn't indicate 24 hours. It says the evening and the morning were the first day, which is only 12 hours, folks. There's only 12 hours between the evening and the morning. So you can't conclude that these were 24-hour days. You know, a close reading of Genesis chapter 1 demands that you take another perspective. All right? Yeah, so please continue. Yes. So, any teach, uh, teaching of pre-Adamic life would be obviously contrary to the traditional six-day creationism. Yes. Which is, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I guess their dogma falls apart if you discuss this. Yes. Oh, no, no, it doesn't hold up at all. Yeah, right. Yeah, please which continue. Almost, um, as infallible as the Bible. So much so, anything contrary to such traditional thinking is considered to be um, heretical. 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 A heresy. You're a heretic, You're a heretic if you disagree with us, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. They call mm-hmm. us that. Yep. On the other hand, uh, theistic evolutionists have no problem in accommodating pre-Adamic life in their creation theology. However, their accommodation is not biblical-based, but rather by embracing evolutionary theories of life. Okay, so, yeah. So the uh, the uh, what's what's uh, what's that called again? The um, uh, oh yeah, the theistic evolutionists. They say that God created the universe. However, uh, after He created, there was evolution. Okay, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about evolution, all right? So I agree with this author. Yeah, no, the, the Bible is not uh, theistic evolution. No, no way. All right, please continue. Yeah, and then also the evolution always have these claims, this with, oh, you know, the cavemen that we weren't. Uh, right, so right. Blah, 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 and that we were only in caves and we were hunter-gatherers, all this. Well, there were people in caves after the great catastrophe, <laughs> right? But if you look at the cave drawings where the these so-called knuckle-dragging prehistoric, you know, supposedly we all evolved from monkeys, right? Well, if you look at their cave drawings, you don't get that impression of their drawings. In fact, there was one found in uh, Europe, you know, where a lot of people had to live in caves after this catastrophe, and they, they depicted themselves on the walls. And one of the drawings that I found was a very uh, petite-looking white woman w- with a very Saxon face and wearing kind of a buckskin dress, right? Nothing like a, a knuckle-dragging monkey. Absolutely nothing like a monkey, knuckle-dragging monkey, right? So, come on, give me a break. You know, we're, we're besieged by mythology. Theistic evolution is mythology, and six-day creationism is mythology. And we have to get this right, folks. Sec- yeah, Kim Smith uh, cites Second Peter 3.8, right? 
Yeah, a day with Yahweh is as a thousand years. Thank you very much. All right, please continue. Yes, so prehistorical, pre-Adamic life on the uh, primeval earth prior to Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 2 is a biblical-based reality that cannot be simply ignored if we are to faithfully abide in the word. Scriptural references such as Proverbs 8, verses 27 to 31, Ezekiel 28, verses 1 until 18, um, chapter 31, verses 8 to 18, Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14, 2 Peter um, 3, verse 6, Jude 6 point to both uh, angelic uh, or spiritual life, as well as biological life on earth prior to Genesis 1, verses 2. There you These go. scriptural references yeah, yeah. Um, uh, cannot be accommodated for otherwise as referring to any historical period on earth since yeah. the creation and fall of Adam and Eve. Okay, that's a lot of biblical references there. Uh, let me uh, just address one, Ezekiel twenty-eight eleven uh, to, uh, I think it's 19, a lament over the king of Tyre. And a, a lot of uh, you know, people think that this, well, this can't be about the pre-Adamic world because it's, it's a reference to the king of Tyre. But no, the king of Tyre is being compared essentially to Lucifer here. In fact, let me just go through it and, and you'll see. So it's a double metaphor. And let me just read through it and we'll see that the, the comparison... Uh, the idea that the king of Tyre is literally the ruler of the earth is, is not true. The king of Tyre never ruled the earth, okay? The king of Tyre never had an army. Uh, Tyre, uh, or Phoenicia, was simply a trading operation. It was a business, <laughs> right? It had no army. It did not dominate over any other country. It just traded with countries. So the comparison to uh, that this is only about the king of Tyre and not about Lucifer is a complete fabrication by those who don't want to read through these verses. So here we go. Verse 11. Moreover, the word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, Son of man, Adam, folks, son of man, Adam, that is ruddy, <laughs> right? To show blood in the face, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith Yahweh Elohim, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, can anybody say that uh, the king of Tyre himself was uh, beautiful and full of wisdom. Well, there's a certain type of wisdom. Yeah, he was a, he was a sharp trader, right? <laughs> to that extent, yeah, he was full of wisdom. But let's continue. Thou hast been in Eden, the Garden of God. Was the King of Tyre ever in Eden? I don't think so, folks. Maybe one because you know, they were a ship. They didn't go across uh, the Arabian Desert to find Eden. No way. They were a, a, a strictly a sea, a sea people, and those, those ships were actually manned by Israelites, uh, paganized Israelites. Okay. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, etc., etc., and etc. the tablets and the pipes was prepared in the, in the day thou wast created. Now, the king of Tyre was not created. The word here is bara, folks. 
Bara is the word used in Genesis chapter 1 for creation. That is to make something brand new. Brand new. That was the, that's what the word bara means. And only Yahweh is the author of creation. Only in Genesis chapter 1, Yahweh creates, and of course Yahweh Elohim, because the Elohim were his uh, obedient angels who assisted him in the creation. Let's continue. Verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub. Okay, what's a cherub? The cherubim. They were the first order of angels directly under Yahweh, okay? There's no way that the king of Tyre could be considered a cherub. This is a double metaphor, folks. It, it, all it's doing here is comparing the, the uh, ability of the king of Tyre to deceive and mislead. That's all that's, all that's being t- uh, t- t- covered here. The cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Was the king of Tyre ever upon the holy mountain of God? I don't think so. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. That's taking us back to the creation when everything was molten, molten rock, right? Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. He's, this is the, the king of Tyre was iniquitous from his foundations. Okay, so folks, you can't say this is exclusively about the king of Tyre. The king of Tyre is being compared to Lucifer here, right? So that's a very good reference here. Back to you, Michael. Yes. So thank you very much. And this is also that you illustrate in the scriptures by. See that you can take everything literal. You need to, it's, it's so, the meanings can be so deep. It can be three different meanings. It can be very many different meanings in it. Yes, yes, yeah. And uh, that's why Yahshua spoke in parables, so that only we Israelites could understand, <laughs> right? Nobody else understands. But even we Israelites, who are of the uh, Judeo denominations, don't understand either, all right? No, because he spoke in parables, he couldn't, maybe also it applies to them, that he, do, he doesn't want to convert right. to him. Right. And also, the book of Daniel, the, the concluding verse of the book of Daniel, it says, seal up the prophecy until the time of the end, which means we, Israelites, really won't understand the Bible until the time of the end. Well, here we are. We're beginning to understand, I hope. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's continue. So, um, initially, God willed, um, Proverbs 8, verse 27a, and created the heavens and earth of Genesis 1, 1. God prepared rather, willed first, and then made heavens by wisdom. Psalms uh, 146, verses 4 to 5. He stretched out the earth with a dry land above the waters. And that is Psalms 136, verse 6, 2 Peter 3, um, verses 5. And uh, girdled the ocean, the deep, with the horizon, Nab. He strengthened the found foundations, foundations and issued a, co- a command to the waters of the deep, or sea, not to transgress his decree. And that is Proverbs uh, 8, uh, verse 27 to 29. All these scriptures 
in no way parallel the creation about in Genesis uh, 1 uh, verses 3 to 13, as stated by John MacArthur. So even John MacArthur, a major theologian, he's he's on YouTube all the time, uh, advocates the gap theory and the pre-Adamic creation. All right, so it's more common than we realize. It's just not promoted by the denominations. They talk about it, but they don't promote it. Back to you. Yeah, and that's from page 88. Mm -hmm. Instead, they do briefly illustrate the creation of original heavens and earth in the beginning. Uh, Genesis 1.1, quote, When he marked out the foundations of the earth, end of quote. Proverbs 8.29, uh, in the absence of any chaos and darkness, it was therefore a perfect creation. Deuteronomy 32, verses 4, and in order. Okay, so, uh, but uh, Genesis, I think it's verse 1 and t- verse one, uh, 1 2 of Genesis, uh, that says, well, it, there was chaos, there was void, there, it, but it wasn't created that way. That's the point of this author he's trying to make. The Initial creation was not made void and uninhabitable, but it was void and uninhabitable in in Genesis 1. So something, a great catastrophe had to have happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, as he is pointing out here. Okay? So, yeah. So, please continue. He didn't make it imperfect. It became that way. That's the proper translation. It It was not void. And without form, it became void and without form. Okay? It became that way. Yes. It wasn't created that way. All right, back to you. And that was because, yeah, and that's also, I guess, the reason also why I put down the Adamic, Adamic race here. We should be content, the garden, take care of this, this beautiful earth. Yeah, so it doesn't get destroyed again. <laughs> right? Yeah, oh. we, are, we are at the moment a bit, uh, feels like we don't do our job properly. Yes. Yeah. We have missed, missed that one out, that command, yeah. that, uh, that mission, that duty he gave to us. Yeah, yeah. Well, because, well, we've been flummoxed by the perfidious Jew who has distorted the Bible immensely. And we still take their, their rendition of Scripture literally, you know, as if it were truth. Yeah. Yes, Mr. Kim Smith, it became void and without form because Satan rebelled. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, let's continue. Yes, so uh, next, Isaiah 45, verse 18, state that the earth was not created in vain, but to be inhabited. Amen. Exactly what you spoke about. Yeah, uh, right? They're beginning to get be, it. <laughs> okay, yeah. It can be inferred that the original earth itself was partly uh, of dry land inhabited by vegetation and animal life. Proverbs 8, verse 31, and partly um, covered with waters, forming the seas, uh, teeming with aquatic life. Uh, yes. As such, uh, it can be uh, convincingly stated that God recreated the plant and animal life during the creation week. There you um, go. See there you go. Uh, yeah. That's exactly the correct terminology, recreation. Right when he had to repopulate, yeah. so when uh, and that's that's what the term in Genesis one is that he uh, he didn't uh, what's the word? Re- he replenished the earth, 
He replenished the earth. It doesn't say plenish, which means the very first time. Replenish means it's a, another occurrence of plenishing. Just like when you build a store and you stock the shelves for the very first time, you stock the shelves. From that moment on, you restock the shelves, right? You He replenished the earth. He didn't plenish it for the very first time. So what's the word for like, like stock or, yes, because plenish would probably be a hard one for you to find in Swedish. But stock, what's the word for stock in Swedish? Stock, I mean, that, that you... Uh, you put stuff um, away. You like you stock for, it. You... Yeah, for for the very first time. Yeah, you stock oh. the shelves. Uh, yeah, you do. Oh. That's oh. a tough one, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, you, you do. Du bygger upp ett lager. Du samlar ett lager. Also, but that's okay. more of a, a stock. That, yeah, that's a, a, a stock. Yeah, that's a, you you getting in your your stock. You getting in a like a, a lager. Um, but okay. I'm thinking about the word for it. It's not the yeah. right word. Yeah, I will try. I have to use some some translation just to see because uh, right. Okay, so I didn't think it would be a tough one to translate from English into Swedish, <laughs> but you get the difference between stock and restock, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, plenish and replenish. There's a difference uh, yeah, between yeah, those two words. Okay, yeah. Yeah, the stock. That's the lager. That's yeah. I mean, that's that is the proper Swedish word when yeah. you say stock. And then when you restock, you fill up or load. Yeah, stuff. load. You load the shells for the first time, or you load your gun for the first time. Every time, every time after that, you reload it. Right? Okay. So the yeah. one term then, that talks about the very first time, and the rest is well, it it, it was loaded once before. Okay. Yeah, exactly. He recreated it. Yeah, there you it go. Again, it was already created. Amen. All right. So we find yeah. that uh, Allison and MacArthur and several others who are mainstream theologians are coming around to seeing Genesis 1 in this way. Because why? Well, because of the verses that he's pointing out. So yeah, I encourage everybody to I put the link to this article in the chat room at Eurofolk Radio and Telegram. I highly encourage everybody to click on the link and download it and read it for themselves. Back to you. Yes, so I, I read read from beginning now. Yes. So, as such, it can be convincingly stated that God recreated plant and animal life during the creation week, yes. seeing that all life forms were created after their original kind. That had to be really in existence prior to their destruction. As otherwise, the newly created life forms during the first six days would not be after any of their specific kind. Um, if the same were created for the first time, it doesn't make any biological sense to state that a variety of fully developed plant life, as stated in Genesis 1, verses 12 to 13, uh, aquatic life, as stated in Genesis 1, verses 20 to 22, and animal life, as stated in Genesis 1, verse 24 25, were created after this particular specific kind. As such, there had to be an earlier plant life as well as uh, aquatic and animal life of the same kind that was wiped out, necessitating uh, its recreation after the same kind. Now, this um, is actually... Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Ask you. Yeah. This, this, that the kind has been wiped out could also be an, an, an effect of race mixing as it is again today. They have mixed out. There were, weren't any pure left. Was it, can there also right. be race mixing in this? What could have happened in right. before Genesis one one? 
Yes. Well, according to Plato, uh, who talks about the Atlantis, he says that a an asteroid or comet called Phaeton, P-H-A-E-T-O-N, Phaeton hit the planet Earth and virtually white. It definitely caused the continent of Atlantis to sink. And what we're finding out today, Michael, is that the continent known as Antarctica once was a thriving tropical paradise. They're finding all kinds of you know bones and and uh, frozen plants underneath Antarctica, preserved by the ice. Okay, underneath the Sahara Desert, there was once a tropical paradise. What happened? What happened? And we don't have any historical record of how the Sahara Desert came to be, right? But we do have ice cores. Ice cores tell us that uh, they go down as far as 11,500 B.C. That's as far as they go, which means there was some major catastrophe, and all of the renowned scientists now agree there was a major catastrophe around 11,500 B.C. The geological record proves it. It proves it that there are parts of the geological record that have no life whatsoever. It's just sand. But then underneath that one level of sand, you have a record of all kinds of life forms that are now extinct that Yahweh decided, I'm not going to recreate these. I'm just going to recreate these. All right. And there's at least two gaps in the geological record where there are no life forms whatsoever. It's nothing but sand and dirt. All right. So the geological record confirms that there were these catastrophes have happened. No doubt about it. All right. Now, one more thing. Because Genesis chapter 1 talks about clouds. You know, you look and you can't see any clouds. You can't see the stars or the sun until the cloud cover went away. I forget the uh, uh, term. Well, you're from the north. There is uh, the the earth was covered with clouds. All right. And it was actually be, it had become after this catastrophe had become quite warm. It became a tropical paradise again after this catastrophe because it's, the book says the earth was watered by a mist before there was rain. It was a kind of a greenhouse effect. And the only place where the sunlight actually shone through was at the poles, at the very far north and the very far south. But at the equator also, the sunlight did was able to shine through a little bit. Now, there's uh, uh, archaeological records in Peru, you know, with the mountains are really high, where you live above the clouds. And there's places in the Rockies that are above the clouds where certain plants do grow. So there were people who survived the catastrophe in Peru. They have a record of farming up at that level. You've probably seen the terraced rows up high in the mountains of Peru where this type of type of farming took place. So there was limited agriculture right after this great destruction. Not very much, but it enabled people to survive. So in my opinion, not all life was destroyed, but nevertheless, it was destroyed almost completely. And Yahweh decided to restock the earth with those species that he wanted. <laughs> okay, that's, that's how I see it anyway. Okay, back to you. Yeah. 
Okay, thank you. So okay. it could be appropriately argued that the term uh, after its own kind to actually mean that the different life forms would be reproducing after their own kind. Well, yeah, and, exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And this is also one of the laws that our people forget. Right? Yeah, yeah. Wheat, wheat uh, it, it says, after its own kind, uh, with its seed within itself. That's a de definition of a species. Wheat produces after its own kind and has its seed within itself. Right? Wheat seed. Okay? Oats are likewise. Uh, the different races, likewise. They recreated after their own kind exclusively until we started race mixing with them. That's also part of the geological record. You can look at the bones of the different races in their habitats, such as Africa, and you go far, far back, all you find is Negro bones. That's all you find. Okay? In, uh, in the uh, Oriental word, you go back as far uh, as you want to go, all you find is Oriental bones. Okay? And, uh, but the Adamic species was the uh, species that colonized the world. So you find our bones all over the world. However, not, uh, oh, well, there is the Cro-Magnon, which was found in Genesis 1, okay? The, the pre-Adamic species that both of these authors and all these people who are coming around to seeing Genesis 1 in its correct light. Yeah, there was a pre-Adamic world, and that was ruled over by white people, Cro-Magnon. Okay, let's continue. Yes, uh, but then that is not what is actually stated in Genesis 1, verses 12 to 25. Of course, the different life forms that were recreated after their original kind do reproduce after the same kind. Sure. This has been the case um, ever since their recreation. But that which was recreated was after its original kind. Um, concerning pre-Adamic human life, it can be convincingly uh, stated that pre-Adamic men were in existence on the original earth. Amen. This prehistorical fact is substantiated by Proverbs 8.31. Proverbs 8.31 talks about the uh, habitable part of the earth, habitable part of the earth, um, which was in fact uh, inhabited by pre-Adamic men. There you go. Whom, yeah. Um, this is what we have been teaching in identity all along. <laughs> right? They're finally catching up with us. Yeah, and but yeah. then if they, I don't know if they define what a what a, well, a pre-Adamic, what it is, if it's a white person, I don't, I don't yeah. know if they define it. No, well, no, no, they don't go that far. Yeah. The definition yeah. of Adam, you're not going to find that in this article, I don't think. Yeah. No. Yeah. Which um, was in fact inhabited by pre Adamic men in whom the wisdom of God rejoiced. And that is Proverbs 8.31. As such as stated further, wisdom's delights were in the sons of men. Yeah. And that is Proverbs 8.31. Uh, who were pre Adamic men of a specific kind. Cro-Magnon. Cro-Magnon. Because uh, Plato specifically states. And the archaeological record proves that their bones are uh, Caucasian or Caucasoid. 
the, the difference between the Cro-Magnon white of uh, pr- the pre-destruction phase where they had larger craniums than we do today. Larger craniums. They had more brain matter than we do today. That's the only difference between Cro-Magnon atomites and the current atomites that we know that we are. We have a slightly smaller craniums. All right. Yeah, back to you. Um, it could be argued that the habitable part of the earth and the sons of men mentioned in Proverbs 8.31 as referring to the habitable part of the earth of Genesis 1 verses 10 and that the sons of men in whom the wisdom of God delight as the Adamic son of men. Yeah, Adam, right. We, we have a totally different definition for Adam. We have the correct definition of Adam from the rest of uh, Christianity, put it that way. Yeah, because I mean, that also stems from the just easy, just pick up a concordance and look what it does mean, and then you will yeah. you will find it. Yeah, yeah, that's all you have to do is pick up a concordance, <laughs> right? Yep. Um, yeah, so, however, God's wisdom would never rejoice in the earth that has been accursed since Adam's fall, nor could there have been any group of men at any time in whom wisdom could have delighted with the expectation of God's elect uh, of Deuteronomy uh, 10 verses 15, Numbers 14 verses 8, and Proverbs 11 verses 20, seeing that the imaginations of men's hearts were being evil continually ever since the fall of Adam. Those who think Proverbs 8.31 cannot refer to any idamic sons of men interpret the same as being anticipative, meaning that wisdom as anticipatively taking form in Christ as man should be the delight of the deity in all its operations. And that is GT names of divine persons, Kingston Bible Trust. Page 26. However, others interpret it differently. Quote, in the past eternity, the wisdom of God rejoiced by anticipation in the habitable part of the earth and found its delight with the sons of men. Proverbs 8.31. In the coming eternity, this will have its uh, complete fulfillment uh, in a scene where everything is based upon redemption and where no failure um, can ever come, end of quote. Yeah. And that is Charles A. Coates, Miscellaneous Works, volume 37, page okay. 37. Okay, now in, in addition, you have all kinds of scholars of archaeology and geology who have documented that there was an advanced civilization on the earth many, many thousands of years ago. And I would say that Gobekli Tepe, Gobekli Tepe is a remnant of that earlier civilization. It was all covered with dirt, right? But uh, and uh, monuments like Stonehenge, etc., etc. Many of these monuments, and they're all over the world. They're all over the world. They're in China. They're in South America. They're in America. They're everywhere. South Africa. Who built them? When did they build them? There's no historical record of these monuments being built after uh, Adam and Eve. There's no historical record. It it predates Adam and Eve. 
clearly predates Adam and Eve. This is all proof that there was a highly advanced civilization prior to this great catastrophe, which now virtually all anthropologists uh, and now even uh, Christian scholars agree that this really did take place. All the evidence of geology, archaeology, anthropology, and now the Bible, that, that we're coming to see it very clearly now, says there was a great catastrophe, there was a highly advanced civilization before Adam and Eve were created in Genesis chapter 1. However, the evolutionists militate against this idea because it destroys their concept of evolution, right? No, no, we are the highest example of civilization ever on the face. No, we're not. No, we're not. We haven't even come close to the level of height of technology that the pre-Adamic world was in at the Atlantean world. They, they had all kind of, they had a different basis of energy form. They had different, uh, they didn't need fossil fuels. They, they were able to levitate objects. They had sound and, and, and light. They were using sound and light in ways that we haven't even imagined. All right, back to you. Yes. Okay. And I guess that was the way how the pyramids were built. That's right. They levitated those stones into place. And they're, they're demonstrating that now. They're using sound to levitate objects in the laboratory. Okay. Yes, but we're just catching up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're just catching up. <laughs> okay. Now, hopefully, we won't, just, we won't destroy ourselves before we fully catch up. But it's looking that way. Um, yeah, it really does look bleak, but I guess that is also the uh, the beauty that Yahweh brings, that despite all this, that we should know that we still know that he is God and, and new war weapons formed against us will prosper. Yes, amen, amen. Well, that doesn't, well, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, right? So there's going to be another great catastrophe, but we, the 12 tribes of Israel, will survive it. And we will be part of the, let's call it an empire, an empire under Yahshua that rules with an iron hand. All right? There will be no rebellion uh, after this. It's, it's going to be over for the Luciferians. This is going to be the last rebellion, and it's curtains for them. They're going to be cast into the lake of fire, never to come out again. Hey, praise Yahweh for that. All right? Back to you. Yes. We're looking forward for that. Then. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> However, the above arguments cannot have any standing in the face of an objective content analyze and a, a, a through a, a through exegesis. Okay, I don't really know what that word means. Exegesis is just analysis, you know, an analysis and uh, explanation. Very, uh-huh. very, very deep analysis and explanation of Proverbs eight twenty two thirty one, which is lacking in Judeo Christianity. You know. Uh, I was listening to a radio program, you know, because every once in a while, if I'm having a long trip, I, I turn on the the radio and listen to the Christian stations, right? And just to see where their heads are at. And this one guy came on a mainstream Christian radio station, and he said, Christianity today is a very, very shallow. He said, it's a mile wide and an inch deep. He was criticizing the shallowness of mainstream Christian theology. I said, thank you very much. Thank you very much for saying that. Right, back to you. 
I mean, that also shows a reflection of our people. How yep. shallow we have become and how wide we want to fit yeah, in. We right. are, so we are so shallow that, and if someone is a bit deep, oh, yeah, you will be cast out. You will yeah. not, you will, and, and you, yeah, I guess it is the Holy Spirit is, it's kicking away those people from you. That's, I guess it's protection, but sometimes yeah. I guess we don't really understand that. Yeah. So if you dive into that swimming pool, pool called Judeo Christianity, which is only an inch deep, you're going to crack your head open. Because you're going to hit the concrete, right? It's only an inch deep. I mean, that was a great metaphor, uh, you know, a comparison to what what's really going on in the church world today. How shallow it really is. And I was amazed to hear that on a Christian radio station. I really was. But the guy spoke the truth. Yep. Back to you. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess this wide is so you can get everybody, and you want to include everybody. That is why it's so yes. wide. Oh know. yeah, right. That's why wide it is. Yes. That's right. Yeah. All the races yeah. the, came from Adam and Eve. Oh, really? Well, then, uh, and then, then the whole earth was destroyed according to their false theology, and then all races had to come from Noah and his <laughs> and his wife Naomi. Give me a stinking break! Come on. Yeah. All right. Contradicting yeah. Uh, DNA, and you know you can't. You can't if they are all white. You cannot have something yeah. else out of it. They That's will be right. White. Kind after kind, having its seed within itself. Right, but there are species that can interbreed. Unfortunately, <laughs> right? Okay, I, I think Yahweh designed it that way to teach us a lesson that when we start race mixing, everything falls apart. Look at the world today. Yeah, it will collapse. This is also the sign what happens in Egypt when that collapsed. Same with when Rome collapsed. They start taking in other races and then they mixed. Yeah, right. Mr. Kim Smith says they can at least wash their hands in inch deep water with great difficulty, I would have to say. <laughs> right. And it's so important to wash your hands. Yeah. And your face, it's hard to take a shower. <laughs> All right. Back to you. <laughs> right. Again. The diverse beast. Thank you, Lily. Yeah, it's highly diverse. Diversity, right? Diversity is the strength of the perfidious Jew. It doesn't. Uh, uh, it doesn't assist civilization. That's for sure. Okay. And, and we are the only one that have diverse. Yeah. Right. Our yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, the chat room is jumping today. Thank you for your comments. Please continue. Um, again, an appropriate. Um, exegesis will clearly show uh, that Proverbs 8.31 refers to a specific kind of pre-Adamic sons of men. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. Okay. First of all, Proverbs 8 verses 22 to 31 as a contextually independent textual unit refers to the creation of the original heavens and earth of Genesis 1 verses 1 as the same was the witness witnessed by God God's wisdom. In no way, these scriptures describe a creation that uh, perfectly parallel the Genesis account. Uh, particularly that which is narrated in Genesis one uh, verses three to thirteen, um, as um, is assumed by the traditional six day creationist, um, and that's John MacArthur, the battle and mm-hmm. uh, page eighty-eight. Yeah, and some of them have abandoned six-day creationism and have become old earth creationists, okay? That's the basic difference in within Christianity. Uh, literal six-day creationism versus old earth creationism. And old earth creationism 
is become is finally becoming established uh, as a well uh, thoroughly documented Ge- Genesis one through three doctrine. Okay, so the old Earth creationism is winning out. It's winning the the debate. Okay, back to you. Next, based on this content analyze, Proverbs eight twenty two to thirty one may be divided into two sections. First. Proverbs 8.22-26 testify to the pre-existence of God's wisdom, even before there was uh, any primal physical creation. Second, Proverbs 8, verses 27-31 narrate precisely as witnessed by wisdom the original creation of Genesis 1.1, which is certainly different from Genesis 1, um, verses 3-31. Uh, accordingly, Proverbs 8, 22-26 describes wisdom's pre-existence even prior to God's physical works of old, um, verse 22b. That is, before um, uh, ever the earth was, and that is verse 23b. And why does he use b after the Oh, that's, uh, that's when a verse has more than one sentence. Okay, so... Uh-huh. Uh, verse 1a would be the first sentence. 1b would be the second sentence of the verse. That's what that is. Ah, okay. 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 Um, when there were no depth, or C, and that is verse 24a. When there were no fount- fountains uh, abounding with water, verse 24b. Even before the mountains and the hills were settled, verse 25. Even before the earth nor the fields, nor the highest dust of the world, verse 26, we are right. brought into existence. Yeah. Now, the fossils, of, uh, like the dinosaurs, for example, they were deposited way before 11,500 B.C., <laughs> way before then. You know, there is no record of, you know, these brontosaurus, tyrannosaurus rex existing, uh, although there are footprints of humanoids cohabiting with dinosaurs. You don't find that in the in the historical record. It had to be it's prehistoric. Prehistoric meaning before Genesis 1-2. Okay? Now there was a second catastrophe that uh, this is talking about where you go into Siberia and you find intact bodies of what were they called? Mammoths. Mammoths with the curly uh, tusks, right? They're pro- frozen in ice. And this was from uh, th- that period when the Earth was hit by this asteroid. When the asteroid hit the Earth, it caused a tidal wave that went around the planet and washed a lot of these animals into the far north and it froze them instantly. They were flash frozen and preserved. They even found the food in the mouths of these mammoths, like they were eating daisies, right? The, the daisies were just as preserved as the mammoths themselves. So when in historical times, now, now there was Noah's flood, of course, but all of this predates Noah's flood, okay? The six-day creationists argue, well, that all the sediment that preserved these uh, mammoth bones and stuff were deposited in the in the short period of time during Noah's flood. No, that's not possible. That's absolutely impossible. That's a major flaw in their theology. And the proof of this, Michael, is the moraines. 
the moraines are the endpoints of the glaciers. We had glaciers all over the northern hemisphere, and they pushed debris southward as far as the Wisconsin border. I've seen these moraines with my own eyes, okay? Some of these boulders are like 100,000 tons, <laughs> right? Can only have been pushed out of their place by these glaciers, okay? Those moraines existed before Noah's flood, and they still exist, okay? They are traceable back to 11,500 B.C. Okay, back to you. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, I will go back to the documents. Yes. So, God's wisdom precedes the beginning of all creation. There you Whether go. this creation is just 6,000 years back or long before that. In the eternity past is to be uh, determined from the scriptures themselves. God's wisdom witnessed a perfect creation. Obviously, wisdom rejoiced in the earth's habitable part. Uh, and Proverbs 8, 27-31 describes the pre preparation. Hebrew, uh, uh, Kuan, I, I don't know if I pronounced that correct. Um, and then, the establishment of perfect heavens, verse 27a, and earth, verse 30. Although Proverbs 8.27 says that God uh, prepared the heavens, Proverbs 3.19 shows that he uh, has also established, fixed the heavens and earth. The main idea underlying the Hebrew word uh, kun. Cool. Um, I guess it's pronounced kun. It's K-U-W-N. Not familiar yeah. with that word. Okay. Um, Spiros Zodiates, uh, who is a Greek scholar. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you have all these Greek scholars from Greece, you know, who speak fluent Greece, Greek, uh, the, who are never consulted <laughs> you know, when they translate the scriptures, right? Never, they never consult these people. So, yeah, a, a point in the chat room, a flood which required six months' worth of rain is not capable of producing flash-frozen animals, not capable. The only way that could happen is if they were washed, and this is all over the northern hemisphere, especially in Siberia, and you find it in Alaska too, that uh, they had to be washed up there you know, and flash frozen. There's no way that the flash freezing could have taken place during Noah's flood. Back to you. Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to read, read something? Yeah, okay, so, uh, so you were, uh, what was your last? Uh, you start with, as such, Proverbs 8, 27, 31 describes. Okay, uh, a creation of an original perfect earth with a firm foundation, and he gives references to the uh, verses here, 29b. Next, God strengthened the fountains of the sea and next decreed limits and commanded that the sea should not break his decreed limits. At, now, this is, again, Noah's flood was only local. It's recorded by every culture on the face of the earth, including the American Indians, who said there was a flood that affected their lives but did not destroy them because they, they survived to tell about it, right? The uh, conquistadors and the Spanish monks that came to the New World were amazed that the uh, inhabitants of the New World knew about the flood. How could they know about the flood 
if they didn't survive it. They say the monks thought they were bringing some new information to these people, but they weren't. They already knew about the flood, and they had survived it because it wasn't global. The deluge was global, but the flood was local. Okay, so yeah, okay, and that yeah. also you can also prove that by by looking in the old text, like the Chinese text, they have verified the floods. Yes. And many of the ancient texts have said it. The same also, I think also I just today listened to a short video that, that talked about that, the, I think the astrologer in China, they, when Jesus, when Yahshua Messiah was, the, uh, was murdered by the, mm-hmm. by the Jew, um, there, there was, there was a darkness in the, it was, it was darkness in all, in, on earth. Really? And they, Said, the Chinese said, oh, now the son of man had died, something like this. <laughs> they said something about that. They didn't know it was, Jesus, it was Yeshua Messiah. They just, yeah. they're, they're, they were told in their, I guess, hearts, in their spirit that that has happened. Right. Well, the Chinese records prove that, uh, for example, uh, during Noah's flood, uh, you've, you've heard of the book uh, Gulliver's T- Travels, right? Gulliver's Travels. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, who was the author of it now? Jonathan Swift. Okay. And in that book, he re- relates that Mars has two moons. And I believe that Jonathan Swift was actually uh, the one who named those, uh, Nemos and Phobos. Well, one meaning terror and the other meaning fear, right? Nemos and Phobos. And how in the world, because he wrote this before, uh, you know, the the... the the moons of Mars were discovered by a telescope. How could he possibly know that Mars had two moons? Well, it turns out that a Jewish merchant traveled to China, and that Jewish merchant uh, consulted the Chinese astronomers, who said, oh yeah, we know all about the flood. And during the flood, the planet Mars approached so close to the Earth that we could visually see those two moons. So he brought this information back from China, uh, and he told it to Jonathan Swift, and Jonathan Swift put it in his book, Gulliver's Travels. Okay? That's how close Mars was to the Earth. They could actually see that that Mars had two moons. That's how how it got into Gulliver's Travels. All right? Where where were we at? (laughs) I'm getting too excited here. Okay, the dust of the world. Is that where we're at? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. That is before ever the earth was, when there were no depths or sea, when there was no fountains abounding with water, even before the mountains and the hills were settled, even before the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest dust of the world were brought into existence. Another thing, if the original creation, how do you get a separation of fresh water from salt water? If, yeah. those, if those minerals were not washed into the ocean from the land. Okay. So uh, how do you get the separation of fresh water with, from salt water? Obviously, the rainfall of Noah's flood was all fresh water. <laughs> it had to be fresh water. And yeah. so that, that was added to the uh, oceans of the earth. Okay, and the, the proof of this is the, the archaeological record and the geological record show that the earth, the water level of the oceans, rose approximately two feet from all of this rain. Where did the water come from, Michael? Where did it come from? Uh, from heaven. 
Yeah, well, it's early from heaven, right? It came from the planet Mars. All the water of Mars was sucked away by Earth's gravity, and it lost all its water. Astronomers are telling us today there's all kinds of evidence that Mars was once a flourishing planet with lots of water. You see rivers, riverbeds, evidence of water erosion from the hills down to the riverbeds. Okay? This is all real. Yeah. Go ahead. And then Yahweh made the perfect calculations when all this, when there was this all mixing on Earth, that that water would come exactly on those those places that Mars would be so close. And then, no, uh, the moon, I guess, was so close. Yes. Yes, the water, yes. But then, yeah, I'm thinking that if the water should have been, I guess, when out in the space, wouldn't it be frozen when it comes to now? I'm just, now I'm just thinking. Now my. Well, okay, that's it. That's an interesting point because the you know the Earth was covered by clouds, okay, and so uh, probably from all of the humidity from the initial catastrophe uh, re- recorded in Genesis one one, okay, as he's and uh, the, the verses that he's talking about, because the Earth was watered by a mist and there was no rainfall. There may have been rainfall here and there, but it wasn't generally uh, on the planet Earth, but. After Noah's, well, just when Noah's flood began, it began with rain. So how did that happen? Well, the canopy, as it's referred to, the cloud cover, and we're talking about uh, a planet that was basically a uh, greenhouse, the greenhouse effect. Clouds covered the earth before Noah's flood. Those clouds also precipitated their, their moisture, and that fell to the earth as well. Okay, so there are multiple sources of the water that came down during Noah's flood, you know, that you could that you can cite. Okay, so yeah, uh, because it clearly says the earth was watered by a mist before Noah's flood. All right, not by rainfall. Okay, all right, okay, all right. So, where were we? Okay, uh. All right. Yeah. So interesting. Then you yeah. lose. You, you lose track. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Because uh, when you think uh, you you raise your eyes, you know, and you're, you're looking you're looking to the ether for the answer, right? God's wisdom precedes the beginning of all creation, whether this creation is just six thousand years back or long before that. In the eternity past is to be determined from scriptures themselves and from the archaeological and geological records. Okay, you can't ignore that because why? Yahweh created everything. He created everything, including the natural world, and he created the Bible. He had his prophets write it for him. Okay, so the Bible and natural history must agree because Yahweh created them both. All right, no evolution, folks. God's wisdom witnessed the perfect creation, obviously, Wisdom rejoiced in the earth's habitable part. Proverbs eight twenty-seven to thirty-one described the preparation. Here, that's the Hebrew word kun, k-u-w-n, preparation, and then the establishment of perfect heavens and earth. Although Proverbs eight twenty-seven says that God prepared the heavens, Proverbs three nineteen shows that He also established, fixed the heavens and earth. The main idea underlying the Hebrew word kun is to bring something into an incontrovertible existence. Spiros Zodiates, uh, page 1600. As such, 
Proverbs 8, 27, 31 describe a creation of an original perfect earth with a firm foundation. Next, God strengthened the uh, fountains of the sea and next decreed limits and commanded that the sea should not break his decreed limits, which they did not do at Noah's flood. Right? Because the rain came from the heavens. (laughs) All right? They they increased they increased the depths of the oceans by a couple of feet, but they did not leave their uh, foundations. Okay, because that's salt water, that's salt water. And it, in fact, to prove the point that these minerals had to come from land to create the salt water oceans and Mediterranean Sea. By the way, the Mediterranean Sea was once a freshwater lake, Michael. So was the oh. black. So was the Black Sea. Once, well, it, it, the Black Sea has uh, was once also salt water. The salt water still exists under the, the colder. Uh, you know, t- 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 well, it's colder. Sorry, above the freshwater now. There's salt water in the Black Sea underneath the freshwater, and the. Uh, but ever since the the the, uh, the Bosporus. The, the salt water broke through the Bosporus, and you have salt water in the Black Sea now as well, okay? But the evidence, the archaeological evidence and geological evidence shows that the, the Mediterranean Sea was once a freshwater lake, okay? So uh, the evidence of geology can't be overturned. You have to incorporate that into the scriptures, right? So this is what we're learning, so, uh, so again, where was I? Yeah, uh, uh, Proverbs eight twenty one. At the same time, he established the clouds above. Okay, so as to cover the habitable part of the earth. Therefore, the heavens of verse twenty seven a and the earth of verse twenty nine b definitely refer to a, the perfect heavens of the earth of Genesis one one. Certainly, the heavens of verse twenty seven a and the earth of verse twenty nine b are not the same heavens and earth that were recreated, Genesis 1 through 8, okay? And I cannot stress strongly enough that those days are not literal 24-hour days. The Hebrew word yam can mean eons. It can mean an unspecified period of time. It can even mean uh, eternity, okay? So, in fact, a proof of this is... uh, in Genesis chapter 2, where it refers to the previous six days of the creation period as a day. So here you see proof positive that the Hebrew word yom can mean a specified period of time or can mean a very vague period of time. So the same word yom is used in Genesis chapter 2 to describe the six days of creation. Now, that's be, that would be a, a total contradiction if you limit the definition to a 24-hour period. That would be a total contradiction. But when you understand that the Hebrew word yam can mean eons or eras, etc., then the, the contradiction disappears. Okay, We're not talking about very specific periods of time. Okay, the day one could have been longer than day two and vice versa. We have no way of knowing. But the geological record, you know, what, what does the verse say? The stones shall speak, <laughs> right? That's talking about archaeology and geology. Those stones are speaking to us today. They're telling us what happened in those days. Let's continue. So, 
when the heavens were established and the foundations of the earth were laid, none of these original works could be said to be parallel with any of the works of restoration of Genesis 1, 3 through 31 on an already established earth. Subsequently, as Proverbs 8.31 states, God's wisdom rejoiced in the habitable part of his earth, and further, it is stated that wisdom's delights were specifically with the sons of men. Now, Michael, who are the sons of men? What is the word? Yeah, the Adamites, right? That's why the word Adam should always be translated as Adam kind, and never should use the generic word man, which can be used to refer to mankind or humankind, all races, okay? The word is very specific. It means to show blood in the face, and therefore the proper translation of man in when it refers to Adam kind should be Adam kind, period. Now the term habitable part of the earth is translated from a single Hebrew word, tabel. It is the earth moist inhabited, the globe and its inhabitants, i.e. all the people on the earth. It actually refers to the people of the earth as well. And many references here. The habitable part of the world, Job 37.12, etc. Spiros Zodiades. Okay, again, I, I highly encourage everybody to uh, click on the link that provided in the chat rooms and download, or you don't have to download it, you can just read it online. And read this article for yourself because it's got so many references, you, re- you really need to spend some time and look at those references for yourself. So let's continue. Obviously, the habitable part of the earth inhabited by the sons of men, that is the sons of Adam, in whom wisdom delighted, right? The white race has more wisdom than the other race when we follow our genetic programming but we've been encouraged, we've been dumbed down by the perfidious Jew to the point where we can't think straight anymore, okay? Has to be the original or earth or land of Genesis 1.1. It is not the restored dry land of Genesis 1.10, subsequent to Adam's fall when it was accursed, Genesis 3.16. Tabel is the same original Hebrew word which in Proverbs 8.26c is translated as the world. So there's two different words for world, Tabel and Eretz. Eretz is only a part of the world. It's only, it can mean that territory. The word, it can mean dirt, right? The word Eretz can mean dirt. But it also means portions of the planet because the proof of this is when Cain was kicked out of the garden, he, he said, I have been cast out of the face of the earth. That's Eretz. Was he cast off the planet, Michael? No, this can't, it doesn't sound reasonable. No, no. He wasn't cast off the planet. He was only cast out of the territory of Eden. That's what that verse means. Same word that's used on the face of the earth in other parts of the Bible. Okay, so we're not talking about the globe or all the earth, if you're a flat earther. We're not talking about all of the earth. We're only talking about territory when they use the word Eretz, which is the source word for our earth. Okay, all right, let's see. Let's continue. Next, the phrase dust of the world actually should have been translated as the descendants of the earth right? Because it refers to people as well. Just as the dust of Jacob in Numbers 23 and the dust of the ground that, that all species are made of mean the descendants of Jacob. 
the dust of Jacob in Numbers 23.10. Very good. Contextually speaking, the clause habitable part of this earth in verse 31a and dust of the world or descendants of the earth, verse 26c, are synonymous. As such, these clauses refer to the sons of men, which is the sons of Adam, of verse 31b, in whom God's wisdom is said to have taken delight. He's equating Adam kind with the sons of Jacob, who are directly descended from Adam. Only we, the white race, are directly descended from Adam. Period. No evolution, no race mixing. The sons of men of Proverbs 8.31b necessarily have to be the men who inhabited the habitable part of earth of the original primeval earth. Proverbs 8.31b confirmed that the sons of men in whom God's wisdom delighted were created much before the creation of Adam. Again, the, 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 all the evidence says that there was a highly advanced civilization before this catastrophe. Highly advanced, and it precedes all of known history. And that's part of the prehistoric record is given to us in archaeology and geology. There's no doubt about it. Accordingly, the sons of men, verse 31b, are pre-Adamic humans that originally lived on the earth, Genesis 1.1, which fact is also confirmed by the fossils. Thank you very much. Okay, the fossil record proves it. The geological record proves it. Uh, I highly encourage everybody to get a book called uh, The uh, Legend of Atlantis. I forget the exact title, but it's written by Otto Muck, a German geologist who proves the existence of Atlantis. He proves it through archaeology and geology. Okay, and by the way, the geologists now have confirmed, and it's been a part of their teaching for a long time now, that there, at one time the various continents were all connected to each other. So there was only like one landmass. There may have been more, but there was one gigantic landmass sticking out of the oceans, okay? Something happened to break this uh, Pangaea, is their name for it. Something happened to break Pangaea apart. Have you ever noticed that South America and Africa fit together like a puzzle piece? Have you ever noticed yeah. that? Okay. Yeah, man. Yeah, they so were. That, um, um, so those parts have been broken, broken loose during this, um, yeah. this time of, uh, I guess, Genesis 1, 2. Yeah. There's archaeological evidence that tells us that villages that now exist in South America and villages that now exist in Africa were once together. <laughs> we're once a single village, right? And we have still evidence that the, the Great Atlantic Rift, which is still bubbling with geological lava, and the Earth is still spreading apart slowly. But no, and the evolutionists say, well, this happened millions of years ago. No, this happened 12,000 years ago, instantaneously. The mountain ranges of, uh, of the Him- Himalayan mountains, the Rocky Mountains, the, the mountains of Peru, they're all craggy mountains, which suggests that they're very young. No erosion, folks. Hardly any erosion has taken place in these mountains. You know, like, uh, like the Ozarks and the, uh, what's the, uh, on the East Coast, 
Appalachians, they're very rounded, a lot of weathering, a lot of erosion. Those are very old mountains. But these mountain ranges that are very high and very tall and very craggy are young mountains. Mm-hmm. I, can, I contend that they're only 12,000 years old because that's when this phaeton hit the earth and split the earth so violently that Pangaea separated into two continents, Africa and South America. Okay, Atlantis itself was located, as, as Plato says, beyond the J- uh, Straits of Gibraltar, which is what we call the Atlantic Ocean today. There used to be dry land there, but that land sank, and it's about uh, two miles beneath the surface right now, right? And Antarctica used to be part of Pangaea. It moved so far south that it froze solid. There are maps in existence that show Antarctica further north and not covered in ice. All right? The evolutionists don't want to discuss this this type of information. Okay? So, uh, why don't you pick up the rest of it, because uh, we only have about nine minutes left, and we'll conclude for today. Yeah, and then I missed totally where you left off. Oh, okay. So, so did I. <laughs> All right. So, uh, conf- oh, c- confirmed by the confirmed. fossils. Yeah. Okay. Yes. yes. So, such a conclusion will sound heretical. 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 Yeah. Heretical. I cannot pronounce yeah. it probably. Um, to the traditional six-day creationists who do not believe in any any kind of life as existing on Earth prior to Genesis one verses two to thirty-one. However, Proverbs 8, verses 22 to 31, does indicate that life on Earth, including human life prior to Genesis 1, verses 2, did really exist. Moreover, it is nigh impossible that there could have been, at any time since the fall of Adam, any sons of men, as a whole group in in, in whom wisdom could be said to have taken the light, seeing that uh, there ever being none that did uh, did good. Mm-hmm. Uh, undoubtedly, the sons of men mentioned in Proverbs 8, verse 31b, must be pre-Adamic men, after their own kind, mm-hmm. in whom God's wisdom took delight. No evolution. Um, <laughs> right? No, no, that's a made-up... Uh, yeah, made-up made up doctrine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, from Jews. By the way, the, the, the Jews promote both of these ideas. They promote evolution, and they promote their own version of uh, the Old Testament, which they, they teach as a global flood. And they teach uh, that uh, all races came from Noah. They teach that, right? Because they say that Ham was black, Shem was white, and uh, Japheth was yellow. <laughs> right? This is what the Jews teach, folks. Yeah, it's, yeah, because yeah. then they can justify there now this multicultural catastrophe oh, that is uh, happening in the world now. Exactly. Okay, it's all nonsense, folks. It's all nonsense. It's Jewish nonsense. Back to you. Yeah, uh, to bring us down. Because yes, bring the white right. end down. Yeah. We are the target. No one else. Amen. In whom God's wisdom took delight for their being created and equipped with wisdom to begin with. Um, and that was along uh, as they were um, sinless, of course. These sons of men that inhabited the habitable part of the earth, in whom God's wisdom rejoice, have been collectively called as the dust of the world. Okay. In verse 26c. Yeah. Yeah. And that is reference to us. 
Right. So it's, it's talking about the molecules, uh, the you know, both the non-living molecules and the biological you know, molecules that make up life is what that's talking about. It's not literal dust. It's not literal dust. It's the, it's the molecular basis of uh, matter and life. That's what that, that dust word dust means. You know, we have to understand it that way. Back to you. Yes. Um, so, Joyce, uh, collect dust of the inwards, meaning the descendants of the earth. Okay. Just as the Israelites who were the descendants of Jacob were called dust of Jacob in Numbers 23, verse 10. Therefore, these pre-Adamic sons of man must have been created directly through, not after the likeness of an image of God, but yeah. as moral beings after their kind. Yeah, well, also, the you know, Bible clearly says that we were established, our species was established before the foundations of the earth. We existed in, the, in heaven, quote-unquote, in that, that ethereal world before the earth was created. So Yahweh had formed us or created our blueprint and our spiritual bodies before we incarnated. That's what the Bible is telling us. And the reason why he wants us to incarnate is to overthrow the works of the devil. <laughs> right? Okay. Please continue. Yeah. About, and that's yeah. our sole purpose, why we are here. That's right. That's why we're here. The pre-Adamic sons of men, in whom God's wisdom delight, had to be like Lucifer. Perfect. In a way. Hmm. They could be considered as a type of the future Adamic sons of men. Until iniquity was found in him, right? And he fell. Right, yeah, well, free will. I mean, uh, Lucifer abused the free will that he was given by Yahweh. Okay. Yes, mm -hmm. that is exactly what many of our people do today. They believe free will. Yeah, but for them, when they say they want freedom and free will, they seem to want to be... The, away from God's uh, God's yeah. laws and God's way. That for them is freedom. Now I see he does get into the rebellion of Lucifer, which uh, is very interesting. So uh, uh, please continue. I, I lost place where you're at, but uh, go ahead and finish it up for us today. We're just about out of time. Whom God could create next after his image and likeness. This would be, of course, subsequent uh, to the failure of the pre-Adamic men to live up to God's standard and remain holy. Very good. Ob obviously, the pre-Adamic sons of man had to be subjects under Lucifer's dominion and mm -hmm. rule on the primal earth. However, they eventually sinned once, and Lucifer sinned and fell. Could this conclusion be proved wrong? No. No, it can't be proven wrong. Uh, but it's actually verified by the books of Adam and Eve in which it is stated that Adam, in fact, uh, Paul verifies this as well, that Adam was created in order to take over from the anointed cherub, from the pre-existing world order that had collapsed and was destroyed. Okay? So who ruled over the earth? And, and that, that Lucifer, or... Satan did not like the idea of having to bow to a, a, a species like us, right? Okay. So this is the cause of the rebellion on, on earth because Lucifer did not want to bow to Adam and Eve, right? So there's all kinds of evidence even in the New Testament to suggest that uh, the earth was ruled over by this fallible angel 
that we know as Lucifer, or Samael, Azazel. There's different words for this being in different texts, all right? Okay, folks, this is very interesting, a whole new perspective of the Bible, gap theory, pre-Adamic men, which was taught by Dr. Wesley Swift and Bertrand Compare decades ago. The rest of Christianity is catching up with us. Thank you very much, Michael. <laughs> All right. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. Thank you, Michael. Yahweh bless you, Michael, and everybody. And may we come to the light of truth before we die. <laughs> Here we go. Here's the music. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everybody.